0: In 1962, a young songwriter named Sylvia Fricker wrote a tune called You Were On My Mind. She wrote it in a Greenwich Village hotel room, actually in the bathtub, because according to her, that was the only place that the cockroaches couldn't climb. A few years later, Sylvia's tune would hit the billboard charts and sell over one million copies. And by the end of 1965, it had outsold hundreds of pop songs, including one called Help by a band called The Beatles. Americans have a wild and unpredictable relationship with popular music. And perhaps to understand that relationship, we have to understand the nature of the songs themselves. They're these little pockets of expression that try to sum up a complex emotion and four minutes of tape. They take us from long and winding roads to endless love, from places like Suffragette City to Funky Town. In this podcast, a computer will choose two completely random songs from one completely random year of the Billboard Hot 100 list. And we're going to try to figure out why these songs made folks dance or laugh or cry or fall in love or maybe why they just couldn't get them out of their heads i'm a songwriter my name is micah mckee and this is american 100 Welcome to American 100. My name is Micah McKee, and I am here with my trusted robot companion, Rando. Hi. And Rando and I are going to play a little game. Rando is going to uh, spit out a random year and two random numbers between 1 and 100. And our job is to explore the songs that correlate with those Numbers on the Billboard Year End Hot 100 list. So let's say Rando chooses the year... 1984. And then he chooses the numbers... One. And... Four. Well, then our songs of the week would be the number one song of the Billboard Hot 100 list in 1984, and that would be uh, When Doves Cry by Prince, and number four, uh, which was Footloose by Kenny Loggins. At the end of every episode, my robot companion will decide uh, what songs we talk about for the following week. And uh, this week, we've got uh, the year 1976 and the numbers 8 and 37, which correlate to 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover by Paul Simon and 37 Dreamweaver by gary wright my special guest today is writer comedian and really good friend seth cockfield from los angeles california but before we get into all of that let's take a quick trip back to 1976. paul simon has had a long and storied musical career beginning there was simon and garfunkel the graduate soundtrack and then there's just 70s solo stuff by the middle of that decade paul simon's stardom as a solo performer was steadily rising and it is in 1975 that he would record his hit 50 ways to leave your lover
1: Problem is all inside your head she said to me
0: the answer is easy if you take it logically
1: I'd like to there's
0: immediately so much to love to free, about this verse this minor key Spanish influenced lament The melody really is pleading to have some sympathy. For this dude is going through some heavy
1: times
0: really heavy times
1: at the risk but
0: Paul Simon is a smart songwriter of pop music and instead of giving us something really heavy he goes ahead and gives us something really catchy
1: new you don't need to be
0: just get yourself free hop on the bus I remember this song being so popular, that hook being so catchy, that my mom, who was more of an Al Green fan than a Paul Simon fan, would sing it to me as a child. Paul Simon wrote this song with the assistance of a drum machine and the inspiration of his child. He set out to make something simple and infectious. Some folks call it a nonsense song, like Hello Goodbye by the Beatles. I see it more as a postmodern lullaby or a nursery rhyme. This is what I really love about Paul Simon's mind as a songwriter. He's aware that songs can take on any meaning, any flavor, any mood that they want, that the song is the songwriter. He's not afraid to write a head-bopping novelty song like Fifty Ways and turn around to explore the depths of the human psyche and the American experience. I'm going to show you what I mean. Just listen to these opening lines from his 1986 classic, Graceland.
1: Was shining like a national guitar. I am following the river down the highway through the cradle of the Civil War. I am
0: going to Graceland, Graceland. The Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar. I am following the river down the highway through the cradle of the Civil War. Where Fifty Ways is Lewis Carroll, Graceland is like F. Scott Fitzgerald. But Paul Simon has been down this road before. He's always been this deep. He realizes that there's a rabbit hole for every great Gatsby and that the song is the songwriter. The lesson that I take from Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover is that you have to give the song what the song wants After all, when you do the song usually gives something back On the year-end Hot 100 list of 1976 Ways ranks number 8 But on February 7th 1976, it hit number 1 on that week's Hot 100 Of all the American odysseys Paul Simon would take us on In his decades-old career, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover would be his only number one hit on the Hot 100. Hey folks, thanks for listening to American 100. I'm Micah McKee and I wrote the original music for this show and produced it along with Asher Griffith. And if you like content like this, then uh, think about dropping something in our jar. Head over to patreon.com slash Radio. Even a pledge of as little as a dollar a month means the world to us. We do this show because we love music and we love radio. So head to patreon.com slash Radio and uh, help us out if you can. Thanks. You can build a song from nearly anything. The sitar is one of the oldest modern instruments. People have been building songs using the sitar for 700 years. And in 1972, former Beatle George Harrison took a trip to India with the intent of learning the sitar under the tutelage of the great Ravi Shankar. Along with George on this pilgrimage was a songwriter named Gary Wright. Gary was a seasoned musician. He had been in and out of studios for years. But something about the trip to India must have changed him. He started to incorporate mystical imagery into his lyricism, wrote about the power of illusion, and by the time 1975 came around, Gary Wright had gotten tired of guitars. Gary Wright signed with Warner Brothers to record 1975's album, The Dreamweaver. As a sort of rebellion against the heavy rock projects he'd been associated with, Wright decided to build this record almost completely with an army of synthesizers. There were plenty of albums that featured heavy use of synthesizers. But the Dreamweaver was the first hit record to use them almost exclusively, making it a landmark in pop recording history. A synthesizer is a perfect instrument for an album about the ever-changing nature of reality. With a synthesizer, you can replicate the sound of a trumpet, of a flugelhorn, even a sitar. It's a versatile instrument, and by the mid-70s and 80s, it was everywhere in pop music. And lots of folks think that Gary Wright was pretty responsible for that. But a wonderful thing about musical innovation is unintended consequences. Gary Wright set out to create a rich sonic landscape inspired by his love for R&B, but in effect... He wrote the algorithm for the modern soft rock ballad. Ultimately, he showed us that it doesn't matter how unconventional your tools are. If you've got a little ingenuity and a killer hook, you can build a hit out of damn near anything. It probably doesn't hurt to be friends with a beetle either the end of 1976, Dreamweaver by Gary Wright was number 37 on the Billboard Hot 100 list. Coming up next, we're going to talk to my guest, Mr. Seth Cockfield. My name is Micah McKee, and this is American 100. Hello, everyone. Asher Griffith here to present, as is disappointingly often my duty, a profound absence of a sponsor. The bright side is, this space is for hire. If you are a listener with a product or service that you would have lauded by us, right here in our mid-roll to the likely tens of listeners who will be tuning in then you, my good boy, are barking up the right tree, just drop us a line at louder at cicadaradio.com. That's L-O-U-D-E-R at cicadaradio.com. And we'll set you up with a sponsorship package that'll just tickle you pink. Thank you so much for being among the people who decided to join us on this maiden episode of American 100. I'm so excited. So back to the show. Welcome back. My guest today is a great friend of mine, writer and musician living in Los Angeles, California, Mr. Seth Cockfield. His extremely funny comedy album, I Still Worship Satan, is out on Sure Thing Records and available via Spotify. And his duo, The Friendships, drops their album this fall. How you doing, Seth?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I'm good, man. Um, Thanks for having me. I really want to know, um, what is your takeaway uh, from Paul Simon overall? Are you a Paul Simon fan? Were you a Paul Simon fan?
1: You know, it's strange. I... I have always liked him from a distance and like when Graceland comes on I'm like oh yeah this album is so good some Simon and Garfunkel tracks are are great and I and I like them a lot but um this song it's all it has this amazing kind of plaintive sad minor key verse and then the biggest letdown fucking toothbrush commercial sellout verse a chorus that is just like what? What is like what? And it's also when you really study the lyrics, you're like, what the what the hell happened here? It's <laughs> it's like a weird patchwork of of like sentiment and tone, and it's like it's uh, it's weird. It's yeah. a really weird song. It's super weird.
0: Like it's almost like this you wink. Like ah, I can get away with anything. Also. If we can just go and take a listen real quick to the rhythm section in this song, I think it's I think it's amazing. Just oh like, man. I'll hop on that, the bus. That bass line. You don't need to disgust
1: much just off the key and get yourself free.
0: Paul Simon kinda wrote the song with his you know, his kid in the room, you know.
1: From a songwriter's standpoint, yeah, that is that makes a lot of sense. I'd, I've never really looked at this song this closely before and I, I liked that I had an opportunity to because my first and only kind of perception of it is that I really loved the, the verse and the chorus always kind of made me cringe and the right. mismatch has always uh, baffled me. I mean I'm, I'm going full like feminist theory here but like... Totally cool. The advice... The 50 Ways, it's coming from said, his mistress. So it's like, it's not something he thought of. It's not like he's some bard who's passing on this knowledge of like, oh, sit around and let, listen to how the 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Li-. It's like taking bullshit advice from his mistress who's basically saying like, <laughs> hey, she literally says, you know, I'd like to help you in your struggle to be free. There must be 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Um, and the 50 ways are are all the same thing. It's just leave. And then right, yeah. in the second verse, she goes, it grieves me to see you in such pain. I wish there was something I could make you smile again. So like, yeah, maybe it was a bad relationship or maybe he's just kind of a shithead. Like, and so think... he says, I appreciate that. And would you please explain about the 50 ways? Like, so... <laughs> it's like he's being coy here he's like uh, oh could you go on because like obviously he already wants to leave his lover he actually doesn't go into how bad the relationship is at all there's very low stakes yeah big, oh, big really time. low stakes like i'm not sad for paul simon he's getting laid in the song
0: <laughs> oh big time big time and i think well like, that's what you're hearing in the I chorus mean, though you know he was still pretty young when he made this record
1: the verse is like it's a it sounds like the 70s and then the chorus sounds like it sounds like some producer was like hey man you're really bumming people out here <laughs> it's like, I mean, you better i mean totally i wasn't sure if i was on paul simon's side at all in, i mean in general that doesn't sound like you <laughs> are and then listen to this based on this song Paul Simon trying to be an everyman comes off as kind of disingenuous to me.
0: Ah, wow. You know, my point was that Paul Simon picks and chooses when to be cute and when to be (laughs) eloquent, you know? That was my point, right?
1: So in this song, he says... uh, Though it's the right dawn really. may be coming soon, there still may be some time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I believe we can reach some morning light. Find me through the starry skies, maybe to an astral plane. It's like he doesn't care. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't. care what happens. It's just a the, all the whole dream's good. Gary, right? Sounds like a karaoke singer. Who should maybe sing for a living? Some of the notes he sings, it's like, ah, Gary. You are burning these guys down, Seth. Oh, come on. They're (laughs) 70s rock giants, man. They're fine. Between Paul Simon and Gary Wright, I would say Gary Wright's the much more humble guy. There's a great clip um, of he's on Dick Clark. Dick Clark is interviewing him. He's on American Bandstand. Gary Wright is. And dick clark asked him he's like oh so you lived in england for a while yeah and he's like yeah i lived in england it's cool and then i came back or whatever kind of asked him about europe and like what he and he was like so you've worked with a lot of a lot of great guys right a lot of big names and he's like you worked with uh you know you worked with uh spooky tooth you were in spooky tooth and he's like you worked with george harrison and gary wright goes yeah i played on all his albums he obviously is like what do I have to do to get you to recognize me as an artist and not just this guy with a silly synthesizer? A
0: quick little note here. Um, a record that we listened to a whole bunch when we uh, hung out back years and years ago uh, was Plastic Ono Band. And um, yeah. a- apparently uh, he was inspired by John Lennon's the song God. I was the dream weaver and now I'm reborn.
1: When you talk about Ernest watch that clip with dick clark because he's like so you wrote all the songs on the record he's like well yeah i did but two of them i use I, I, like one of them i wrote with my wife i gotta mention that I, he's like my wife collaborated oh, he's God. like
0: that's so good
1: man it's like that's this so dude
0: well rando that was a fun conversation right He didn't really
1: seem to like Paul Simon that much.
0: Well, Rando, I don't think that's fair. I think Seth was saying that Paul Simon was just phoning it in on the chorus, and Gary Wright was a bit more of a genuine songwriter. And here at American 100, we encourage open discourse about the songs that so many folks hold dear. Classic rock is special, but it's by no means infallible. Pop music is complicated, and so are the folks that enjoy it and created, and that's what this show is all about. I really like Paul Simon. I know you do, Rando. I know. We thank Mr. Seth Gockfield for stopping by the show, and I highly encourage our listeners to go check out his comedy on Spotify. Now, Rando, it's time for you to randomly generate the songs for the next show. Are you ready to do that? Commencing
1: randomization. The year
0: 1978
1: and the numbers 77 and 71.
0: And those are number 77, Serpentine Fire by Earth, Wind, and Fire, and 71, Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue by Crystal Gale. So next week's show should be a blast. American 100 is produced by myself, Micah McKee, along with Asher Griffith, and is presented by Cicada Radio. And you know, Rando, since we're broadcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, we're going to ride out with one of my favorite Paul Simon tunes, Take Me to the Mardi Gras. From all of us at American 100, thanks for listening, and always keep a song in your heart. This is Cicada Radio. Sing, love, die.